across the city and South Cambridgeshire. On FM, digital and your mobile. Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm going to read you the menu. It's fantastic. So we get better flavour because of the fen soil. I've drunk more beer since I came here and bought my two barrels than I've ever done in my life before, I think. I shouldn't have said almonds. They don't make it from almonds. <laughs> so you've got this big sticky mess when you start off. Pizza pot pints. My wife's cakes are selling up hot cakes. Brilliant, thank you. The time is right for this sort of thing. Food is everything. Cambridge is right for this sort of thing. What's it like? <laughs> Good afternoon, welcome to Flavour, bringing you food and drink news, stories, choice cuts and tidbits from in and around Cambridge. I'm Matt Bentman. And I'm Alan Alder. And on today's programme, a chef at a local cafe discusses his obsession for pastry and cream. And a local butchery transforms its business. And we've a feature on mushrooms and, as Agent Cooper would say, some damn fine coffee. As well as a selection of food news and jobs. I'm afraid I don't know who Agent Cooper is. Oh, that was a Twin Peaks reference. Oh, uh, right, okay. That's a 30-year-old reference, I think. Right, well, well that's why. <laughs> a couple of Sundays ago, I went to Cambridge Market and bought a cup of coffee. Nothing unusual in that, you might think, but there was. It wasn't a latte or a cappuccino or a flat white. It was a flat red. And it was served by Vadim Gronovsky from Ukraine, and he invented it. It's a remarkable drink with a remarkable story behind it. 20 grams of coffee, which we will use to prepare a double shot of espresso. Tamping him down and extracting espresso. Would you like blue cup or yellow? I'll, I'll, have a, I'll have a blue cup, I think. Okay. Blue cup it is. So this is double espresso. And then we have a mixture of uh, orange and pomegranate juice, uh, freshly squeezed. We are steaming the juice now. Right, so it's a hot drink. I didn't know whether to expect a hot drink there or is, a cold there drink. Is, there is a cold version as well. It's sort of a summer menu, but the original is, is warm. Uh-huh. Many people tell me that this drink reminds them mild wine. Well, it's really nice. Thank you. I'm very surprised. Yeah. I just um, didn't think, I never thought of mixing coffee with, with fruit, actually. Actually, I think there is a niche, I mean, there's the potential of, of combining coffee and fruit juice. They, they do it in Asia. I've lived in Indonesia for two years. I had a chance to sort of embrace coffee from the roots. I lived weeks and weeks spent on coffee plantations with farmers. But um, they do mix anything, orange juice, uh, coconut water, uh, passion fruit juice. They all mix with coffee and surprisingly it, it, it's pretty good. Considering how many people switch from dairy, from regular milk to plant-based milk, I think juices deserve more attention. Obviously, it requires sort of development, like the, the, the recipe, the fruits make a big difference. I mean, uh, the ripeness, the breed. The, so, so I buy organic oranges from a supplier, and I buy um, a special breed of pomegranates, and I have to sort of during the year, I have to switch to different suppliers because um, now this, this pomegranate comes from Peru. 
uh, this time of the season that's that's the best we can get in terms of taste so this is like ripe and, and, and sweet and, and, and juicy but there are different pomegranates if you get like low quality low grade pomegranate they'll absolutely kill the taste you wouldn't drink it it's too sour as regions so it's a matter of developing the recipe but once it's there I think the taste is, is, is pretty good yeah it is very good and and presumably you've worked on the proportions of yeah. pomegranate juice yeah, well, the drink is called flat red um, I took flat white as, as the name it's it's flat white is a double espresso uh, and roughly 100 mils of uh, coffee so you have double espresso which is 40 to 50 60 mil and then the rest is milk and it's heated well steamed and structured in a way so it will have this sort of velvety uh, sensation yeah uh, and and let's face it uh, a well executed cappuccino or, or, or latte or flat white is, 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 is pretty pretty good yeah it's, it's, it's a nice yeah. drink it's a nice combination i try to take the, the inspirations of creating a flat, flat white because it's a pretty new drink. Flat white was created in 80s, 70s in uh, New Zealand and Australia. Um, so the recipe is the same. We have double espresso and that is combined with 80 grams of pomegranate and 40 grams of orange juice. Um, when we squeeze orange juice, we use hand press, so it releases the oils from the, from the skin um, right, so it's not just the juice. I'm sure you've seen the way bartender use the the, uh -huh. the orange skin. It has a lot of a lot of oils, and they enhance the aromatic experience of, uh, right. of, 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 of coffee. To me, it's pretty balanced. You have sweetness, you have uh, bright acidity coming from oranges. You also have sweetness from oranges. Pomegranate is very complex, it has a lot of layers. Uh, coffee gives that chocolatey caramel note, so it's pretty complex drink and I, yeah, I tend yeah. to enjoy it. It's very satisfying, I'm, I'm, I'm really amazed by it. <laughs> but how did Vadim come to invent the flat red? This story about coffee has further surprises, this time including the unlikely role of the Lexus NX car. They wanted me to create three signature drinks. Each of the drinks would represent a, a car. And uh, this drink is called Flat Red, and it was created to tell the story of um, a Lexus MX, which is a crossover with a bright red interior. Uh -huh. Basically, it was my idea to create three different drinks for them. And then we had this project called Lexus Coffee Experience. So people who came to the awards ceremony, they could try a different coffee according to the car they liked. But that was a long time ago. Um, I had a coffee shop in Ukraine. It's called Coffee in Action. It's, it's, it's still number one on TripAdvisor in Kiev, even though it's a relatively small place, 20 square meters, four tables. Um, but because we were doing, we were doing a lot of different drinks, not just classic menu. We had twists and and and, and uh, flat red was probably a headliner because after that event with with Lexus, uh, it was September 2016. We added flat red to the menu, mm. and gradually people start to come to try it. Um, it became a destination drink. People were coming to try it. They were sort of 
sharing the experience online, TripAdvisor, Facebook, Instagram. And then media started to write about it, like food media, destination media, in-flight magazines, which again brought more uh, customers. And uh, eventually we became known for, 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 for the drink. I patented it, I patented the trademark. Things were going well in Kyiv. Then, war with Russia. Do you want to talk about why you left Ukraine? We can. It's pretty simple. I, um, um, I, firstly, I took my family abroad. I took my family to Poland when... Um, because of the war? Because of the war and because Russian army approached places where we live and, and, and close to Kiev. Um, and then when I realized that we are pretty much within the artillery range, uh, I drove my family to Poland. And I stayed behind for, I don't know, another four months. Um, and I only left last July. Again, UK is my second home. I've been here for... The first time I came to UK was 2001. So it's... it's I had a sort of career in, 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 in publishing industry. But then this is new for me. I have to start from the scratch again. Uh, there is no safe place in Ukraine. Uh, I can't... I have daughter. She's two and a half. I can't guarantee safety. I can't. I can't even guarantee a childhood for her. Yeah. So we made a decision to sort of move here, and I, I did a lot of charity projects with with Ukrainian uh, uh, Ministry of uh, Culture. I, I went to Turkey. I went to Italy. I went to UK, to Switzerland, to uh, do what I call a coffee diplomacy, uh, to talk about what happens in Ukraine through, through, through coffee. But now I concentrate on this. This is, this is something I really want to do. I want a small coffee place at the market, um, serving highest quality, unique coffee, obviously with Ukrainian roots. Yeah. That's, that's my idea now. Brilliant. Well, I hope it goes well. Thank, Thank you. Pleasure. It's a pleasure to show the story, and then I hope you enjoy the coffee. <laughs> well, I did. <laughs> Very much. And that was Vadim Granovsky. What an interesting story. And Vadim's flat reds can be bought on Cambridge markets on Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays and Sundays. He'll also do more conventional coffees if you prefer it, or freshly squeezed fruit juices as well. But try the flat red. It's a winner. It's refreshing and delicious and, you know, as the cliche goes, it has good depth of flavour. <laughs> you know, I really liked his use of phraseology as well. He said destination drink. I've been trying to think uh, of a phrase like that for ages and I just couldn't shorten it to something as succinct as the way he put it. That's exactly that for his flat red with the orange and pomegranate. That's pretty good since his first language isn't English. Isn't, isn't it? it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And now there's details of free food available in and around Cambridge and the information about what is available and where to get it comes from the Olio app and that exists so that people's or businesses' surplus food doesn't go to waste. That's right. And today's look at Olio for Cambridge shows us that Will Run, who lives on Coleridge Road, he's got ten cinnamon pastries, five croissants, five tiger batons and five tiger baguettes to give away. Jasmine on East Road has loads of Tesco bakery things for anybody who wants them. Wholemeal pitters, bagels, white rolls, gluten-free tiger bloomers. She also has a box of rescued bananas and bunches of flowers too. 
Meanwhile, Ruth in Arbury has four burger and six hot dog buns, whilst Kate in Teversham is offering fresh cuttings of her herbs. It includes sage, thyme, marjoram and oregano. And that's just a few of the things that's available on the Oleo app. Very bread-heavy Oleo app today. Yeah, and there's lots of other free food that you can get as well. I mean, if you go to the app called Too Good To Go, you'll find there unsold food from restaurants and shops, and it's often at less than half price. And there they don't specify what each leftover item is, because at the beginning of that day they don't know what's going to be left over. So any surplus food they have is simply packaged as a magic bag, and it's ready for you to take home. And again, that's instead of it being binned at the end of the day's trading. So everyone wins. Yes. Now, Malloy's, they are the craft butchery on Station Place, or rather, they were. They're well known for their quality cuts, especially their Japanese Wagyu beef, and Mike owns a herd of them. I caught up with manager Mike Malloy of Malloy's Craft Butchers for their final day in Cambridge. So we were approached by Ben's Yard in Ely, a massive new Vista Village-style development. They really, really wanted our brand to come over. We've got twice the size of the shop, half the price. It was a no-brainer for us. You know, I opened here, taking a massive risk, and I've got a year left on the lease here at Station Place. So we're turning this into a fishmonger, Cambridge's first purpose-built fishmongers. We've got the Bircham family from Newmarket, who retired during COVID and are now bored, want to come back. So they're going to come run it for us with their two sons, Ollie and Tom. So we're cutting this shop in half, half of it being turned into a prep kitchen. So we're baking fresh bread every day. All our side dishes and desserts are coming back pork pies, sausage rolls, fresh every day. I noticed on your Instagram, people were saying, oh, really sorry to see you go. But you said, no, 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 don't worry, because we're still going to be doing deliveries. There's still going to be drop-off points. This is not a negative thing for us at all. It's been three and a half years, and we've had a great time. We've got some fantastic customers. We opened four months before COVID. COVID hit, changed everything. And since then, we've done nothing but evolve and grow. We bought Cambridge Quality Meats on Arby Road. That's being rebranded to Malloy's Express, so that'll be our value brand and our family packs to give you know people who can't afford Japanese Wagyu a place to go. I don't think there's many people that do things the way we do them. And we've got great people around us, a fantastic customer base. You know, with, with the congestion charge and the uncertainty in Cambridge, this was the right move for us right now. So if people want to order meat to Cambridge, we can bring it from Ely to Cambridge with 24 hours notice. We're setting up the website to so use this as a collection point. It's a different way of doing things, but people in Cambridge will still be able to get great meat. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Recently, we've been covering quite a few places that have been around for several years, and they've been closing due to the rise in energy costs, prices, rents. That's not the case here. Don't be wrong. Business has become harder and harder as the years have come on. You have to be able to turn over a million pound a year in Cambridge to break even. The rent is high, the electric's high. Everything costs in Cambridge, right? So. You have to work twice as hard to be here, and unfortunately there's lots and lots of businesses that are really struggling right now, so it's sad to see lots go. Hopefully we'll see some resurgence of new businesses coming in the next few years. I worry that if the congestion charge does come in, that changes things again. I think people will be moving further out like we are, and then just seeing what happens, because with all this uncertainty in Cambridge, how can you put a million pounds worth of contracts into Cambridge? How can you buy a shop like this and spend a quarter of a million pounds fitting it out, not knowing what the next two years is going to bring? Yeah. So I think you're going to see a lot of places closing, a lot of boarded up shops for the next few years until everyone really decides what they're going to do. Now that you have these sites open across Cambridge, Ely, mm -hmm. where do you place yourself in amongst all this? 
I mean, I've always jumped around between what we do. I'd like to think that I'm going to be front and centre of Ely as our flagship, but I'm going to be heavily involved in the fishmonger. I obviously run Cambridge Quality Meats as well, which is going to be branded, obviously. And we've just sold the franchise, so there's another Malloy's opening in Ellsworth later on in the year. So, yeah, I'm spread pretty thin, but I've got great people around me. Very emotional, very sad to see this place go, but very excited for what the future brings. Lovely. Thanks very much, Mike. Appreciate you. Thank you so much. There we go. What I thought was going to be a bit of a sad chat turned out to be a very positive one. And at his new location, he's got 400 parking spaces outside his front door. And around a month from now, Malloy's Craft Fishmonger is going to open in Station Place. Or should that be Place? That's very funny, Matt. <laughs> but it's interesting that he's still got a meat shop, a butcher's in Cambridge in Arbury Road. Yes. Cambridge Quality Meats is the one he said he'd uh, taken over. Because actually that's, what, quarter of a mile from the art of meat. So the people in that area have got a fantastic choice of meat to buy. Don't they? Yes, it's yeah. It's funny that they're all in the same area. Anyway, on to our first news briefing now. And with Father's Day on Sunday... Brewboard has craft beer gift packs available at 20% off if you collect it from the brewery today. And that's at the Button End Industrial Estate in Harston. Italian bar and restaurant De Luca Cucina on Regent Street has just added artisan gelato ice cream to its repertoire. It includes flavours like Oreo, salted caramel, stracciatella and limone, to name a few. Cambridge Sustainable Food is looking for volunteers to help with food preparation at their kitchen. On Tuesday the 20th of June, they need one person between 10am and 1pm to help sort food for the hubs. And then three people to help Rosie Sykes with food prep at St Philip's Church between 11.30 and 3.30pm. They also need volunteers on Wednesday and Thursday. So if you'd like to help, just email becca at cambridgesustainablefood.org. English Wine Week starts today, assuming you're listening to us live at Saturday lunchtime. And in case you didn't know, we have an English and Welsh wine specialist in Grape Britannia, a wine merchant that you can find at the beginning of Arbury Road. Now, they won Best Specialist Retailer at the Decanter Retailer Awards, and they have a regular influx of new wines featured in-store and on their website, such as Renegade Urban Winery's Bethnal Bubbles. And looking closer to home, they also stock wines that are made at Chilford Hall near Linton. Now, wine expert Tom Lewis spoke with us several years ago about English sparkling wine. And here is Tom. We're going to look at English fizz, or English sparkling wine, to give it its full name. Winemaking in this country dates back to Roman times, but unlike in France, it's not a continuous history, and modern English winemaking is really just a few decades old. I'm old enough to remember when the idea of English wine of any type was a bit of a novelty, and you never assumed that it was actually going to be any good. But I was at a tasting the other week of English wines, and I thought the quality of some of the wines there was truly world-class. Interestingly, it was an Englishman, Christopher Merritt, who first wrote down the secret formula for making a sparkling wine, even if it was a region in France, whose name I won't mention here, that has become synonymous with fizz and with its Formula One podium celebrations and references to having a certain lifestyle. And in truth, the best English fizzes owe a lot to the methods and approaches developed just across the channel. Often it's the same grape varieties, the same traditional method and the same chalky soils. So the only real difference apart from winemaking quality is that thing we call terroir. Terroir is a French word that has no direct translation into English, but essentially means a sense of place. 
and refers to the soil, climatic conditions, aspect and exposure of the vines. Another way of putting it is to say that wine is geography in a bottle. So if English fizzes are beating other sparklers from around the world, made using the same grapes and know-how, then the difference must be the superiority of our English terroir. There are various ways to make a fizzy wine, but the so-called traditional method from that region in France again is considered the best. We start with three grape varieties, the white Chardonnay and two reds, Pinot Noir and the lesser known Pinot Meunier. A Blanc de Blanc is a wine just made from Chardonnay, whereas a Blanc de Noir is a white fizz made from the Pinots. Anything else will be a blend. The best condition for growing grapes for a fizz is a marginal climate with chalky soils. Why? The marginal climate is where the grapes only just ripen to produce a thin, acidic little wine that will have the structure to age and be refreshing, even after the secondary fermentation, whilst growing on chalk provides an elegance and minerality to the wine. Once the first fermentation has been completed, the wine is bottled and a secondary fermentation is started. This fermentation produces carbon dioxide, which dissolves into the wine. It also produces dead yeast cells known as the lees, which add a creamy, yeasty, biscuity flavour to the wine over time. In terms of flavour profiles, a young fizz should taste of apple and pear fruit, whilst one that has extensive lees ageing, at least three years and maybe up to ten, will have less primary fruit and more of the so-called tertiary, creamy, biscuity flavours. As anyone who has ever had a bottle-conditioned ale will know, the challenge is to get the dead yeast cells out of the bottle without losing the fizz. The process of doing this involves storing the bottle with the neck downward and giving it a quarter turn every so often to get the yeast to sink right down into the neck. Then you freeze the neck of the bottle, take the cork out and out flies all the dead yeast. Then you quickly top it back up, reseal and there's your bottle of sparkling wine. The only other thing you can do is potentially to add a bit of sugar at the end. This is known as dosage and to me it's a little bit like putting makeup on. A really lovely fizz is naturally beautiful and doesn't need it whilst a less attractive one might need a dab of something to smooth out some rough edges. The words zero dosage mean no added sugar. Then it's brut, extra dry, sec, and finally demi-sec, which will be distinctly off dry. No one ever said this process was easy, and that's the, partly the reason why the fizzy stuff is quite expensive. There are, of course, cheaper ways to put bubbles into a bottle of wine, but the result is never quite as fine and elegant. Overall, what we're looking for in a good bottle of traditional method fizz is a fine mousse. Those bubbles should be very small and gentle, not big and harsh like a bottle of mineral water or a fizzy drink. The wine should have a good acidic structure. Depending on the style, it should either be pleasantly refreshing to drink as an aperitif or have a savoury rasp to match with food. It should be elegant and balanced. And unless it's a light Blanc de Blanc style, it should have a good depth of flavour and complexity. The final thing to note is that our region in France mostly blends wines from different years to achieve a consistent house style. So most production is non-vintage, not from a specific year. A vintage wine will only be made in a really good year, perhaps a few times a decade, where the quality of the grapes is good enough not to require blending. It's worth pointing out that if you want just a simple, easy drinking fizz, then Prosecco can be a much cheaper, easier drinking alternative. It doesn't have the complexity, finesse or elegance of a traditional method sparkler, but it can be very pleasant and costs a fraction of the price.
And that was Tom Lewis talking about English sparkling wine. Some more of the local news. The Empty Common Community Garden, which is off Brooklands Avenue, is an area of Cambridge City Council land, which is run by Transition Cambridge. And they've just finished building their garden shed, built by the community for the community. And it's built from mostly recycled materials featuring mod cons like a butterfly hibernation quarter and a solar-powered electrical system. It's for use by all empty common gardeners and is now in the running for Shed of the Year. But it needs your vote. Check it out at readersshed.co.uk. That's a bit obscure, Matt. Yes. And, <laughs> and search for the Head, Hearts and Hands Hut. And why not go to the Transition Cambridge website while you're at it? They have plenty of events focusing on sustainability and ethical growing of produce. Well, here's another Father's Day offer. Lord Conrad's Brewery have Father's Day beer boxes full of beer and snacks, and you can even choose from veggie or vegan snack options. And furthermore, uh, their ales, almost all of their ales and lagers are vegan too, and that will be available from 4pm today, Saturday. And here's one from the Guardian newspaper to help fight the heat this week. Benjamina Ibuhu's recipe for coconut and cherry ice cream sandwiches. Uh, this was published yesterday and I guess is in today's Feast magazine, but I haven't checked yet. Uh, it's a recipe available online anyway at guardian.com and is one of many from their summary sweet spot recipe range. Another one here from Transition Cambridge. They have a discussion on Monday the 19th of June at 8pm. The topic is recycling and plastics and what we can do to increase our recycling and to make it easier to recycle. Not an easy thing, really, when each council has different rules on what can and can't be recycled, as well as the multitude of confusing recycling symbols on food packaging. The meeting is going to be held at Downing Place and they will also be using Zoom to stream it. So, if you're interested, just head to transitioncambridge.org website for the Zoom link. Nominations for the first annual Velvet Food and Drink Awards have been revealed and Lal Bag in Bourne has been shortlisted in the Restaurant of the Year category. Lal Bag make Indian and Bangladeshi food in a rural village setting, dishes that you would not find in a more, shall we say, typical Indian restaurant. The final ceremony will take place on the June the 30th at Newmarket's Jockey Club Rooms and Cambridge 105 Radio will be there. The winners will be chosen by a panel of independent industry expert judges, including our very own Sue Bailey. Uh, amongst the categories are some names familiar to flavour that have been shortlisted. Stir Bakery is nominated for Producer of the Year. The Larder in Burwash Manor, Meadows and the Gog Magog Farm Shop are all in the running for Farm Shop or Delhi of the Year, Steak and Honour and Steve Thompson, the foraging chef, are up for street food or pop-up of the year. The wine rooms and Anfora are challenging for pub or bar of the year. And food hero, uh, one of the shortlisted people there, is Jenny Jeffries, who's been on this programme before talking about her two books, For the Love of the Land and For the Love of the Sea. So anyway, there's some good competition there on the 30th of June. It'll be very interesting to see who wins. Okay. We're going to take a short break now and put the kettle on. Coming up next, we chat to a local pastry chef about what makes him tick. We talk mushrooms with a local mushroom picker and more news too. So, see you in two. Cambridge 105 Radio. 
On Sunday afternoons, relax with Jazz Today and Pete Butchers. Join me for music at the cutting edge, mainly new releases, many on small independent labels. The stuff you rarely get to hear elsewhere. I'll also be keeping a watching brief on jazz events in and around Cambridge, as well as chatting to local and visiting musicians. Jazz Today at 4pm every Sunday afternoon on Cambridge 105 Radio. Go on, challenge yourself. Remember when you were picked last for rounders in your school PE lessons every week. What about that time you asked Jenny to the college dance, but your best friend Dan had already asked her and she said yes. Or how about that promotion you went for and got pipped to the post by Mr. Big Shot? Well, don't worry about all that now. With General and Medical, you're never second best. For over 35 years, we've offered a wide range of private healthcare policies to suit all needs and budgets, catering to individuals and families, businesses and other organisations. To find out more, visit generalmedical.com. People first, always. The ultimate challenge is back. The 17th Cambridge Dragon Boat Festival in aid of Addenbrooke's Charitable Trust takes place on Saturday the 9th of September. Gather your colleagues, hit the water and hear the cheers of the crowd as you paddle your way to victory. No experience necessary. There's even a range of bankside entertainment, food stalls and fun activities to guarantee a fabulous day out for all the family. For more information and to register your team, visit dragonboatevents.co.uk. The 2023 Cambridge Dragon Boat Festival, organised by New Wave Events and supported by Cambridge 105 Radio. Cambridge 105 Radio. Welcome back to Flavour. Now, I want to say that this next feature is about happiness. Sounds pretentious, doesn't it? But how many of us get to experience true happiness in our jobs? Kevin DiSimano is the pastry chef at Modigliani on Mill Road. They're a cafe. And I visited when they opened in 2019, and I spoke with his brother, who manages the cafe. But this time, I wanted to meet the chef. I always thought that if you were good at cooking, you would ever get the best things in life. Modigliani, a little cafe on Hills Road that shares its name with an Italian painter and sculptor who had a rivalry with Picasso. Modigliani the man and the cafe share creativity and obsession to produce beautiful things. Things that people remember. I've heard a lot of people singing the praises of your food to a ridiculous extent. The word she used to describe it, I can't repeat on radio at lunchtime. <laughs> but it was very, very positive. <laughs> and that's what made me want to come back four years later and, and meet you for the first time. I wanted to meet the person who makes such a great impression. I don't want to be too pretentious. I want to take something that can create memories. Sometimes it doesn't go well, but even then I really appreciate the feedback of people. Kevin is from Italy. North Italy. North Italy. In a little town in the region of Piedmont. Yeah. I have a big South Italian family. The food culture is, uh, is more important in the South. Uh, I started very young as a chef. When I was 17, I started. Extremely chaotic and terrifying, but uh, I loved it any minute of it. I went from kitchen porter, doing the most humble of the jobs. I just steadily grow. I've been a chef for eight years in restaurants. Mm -hmm. I become head chef. 
and then I felt there was something missing in my craft because many chefs have the tendency of being very focused on being a great chef and I felt it was missing something which in this case was the, the pastry chef, patisserie in general. And I just say to my brother that I wanted to open a, a place where we could uh, express ourselves. It was on the same wave. Yeah. I just said, if I do it, I want to do something I never done though, towards patisserie and sweet. Mm. I love it though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I keep remembering what this girl said to me. How how stunned she was at how nice these cookies are. How different they are from any other cookie she'd ever tried in her life. Mm-hmm. She just kept going on and on about what's brilliant about the Modigliani cookie. Cookie is something that, again, is very selfish of me. It's a product that I really wanted to make it perfect for, for myself, really. Yeah. In Italy, we don't eat many cookies. I think it can sound a bit bad, but obsession is a very important thing in my life. Mm-hmm. Always being obsessed with the things that really interest me. You gotta be creative. Mm-hmm. Definitely being obsessed helps you to again, put your personality as much as you can out there. At the end of the day, there are so many business like ours. So the only solution is being unique. Mm. My goal of life is to give the same things my grandmother gave to me when I was a kid, give memories to people. Memories, which are the most beautiful things in life. Sweet, sweet memories you gave me, you can't beat. The memories you gave me. Take one. Well, let's give some tangibility to those memories now. So, as an example, I know someone who came back with the Basque cheesecake. The next one was a uh, pistachio white chocolate and whipped cream. It's a multi layered cake. Yeah. The third one was a, like a pastry with a caramel and almond. The one that I thought would be my least favorite turned out to be my most favorite. It was just incredible in terms of the flavor, the texture. It was so substantial, and that was the pistachio white chocolate and whipped cream. You make all of this stuff. There's nobody else making these things. It's just, it's just I you. Don't, I don't think uh, those, those recipes exist. Yeah? I create something that is very tailored for uh, that specific cake you talk about. I created it because I wanted a pistachio cake like that. Yeah. It was quite selfish in the recipe because I created for me. I really love it, and I'm very thankful that you love it too. I think the cake is extremely addictive. Yeah. It's not shy in flavor. No. I know that nowadays the trends, again, people want something that is on the lighter side, but that doesn't sit well with me. I, again, I have a quite intense personality in terms of strength, so I really want to share it in my cakes. The cake is a strong cake. <laughs> Failure. The best moment is when we fail which actually really greatly helped me to be better. Yeah. Can we talk about some of the things that you consider having failed? Because that can be quite interesting. I wasn't a pastry chef when I started my journey. I wanted to make something that I really wanted to eat myself. I created it. I thought it was perfect. And maybe one of our guests came in and tried it. And I remember this person said she loved what she was eating but maybe the consistency of a ganache or the consistency of a cream, it wasn't on point. Yeah. Sharing the feedback with me helped me to understand that maybe she's right, and I did perfect the product, and then everything became greater and, and more beautiful, so, yeah. 
The thing that Kevin is most proud of is the cream that fills Mogdiliani's cakes and pastries. He spent six months perfecting it. What is it that you're after when you're to spend six months working with cream, let's say? It's always like I'm obsessed with something, I want to perfect it. Yeah. The cream is something that I really wanted to create a perfect cream for my pastries because I always found that I'm eating pastries around the world and uh, most of the time it disappoints me. Not for arrogance, it's because of the mouthfeel, or it's too cooked, or it's too sweet. There is always something that doesn't sit very well with me. And I'm, I'm being very critical. After six months of failure and feedback and try and try again, I think I achieved a product that our guests really like. Mm. Yeah. Try and repeat, try and repeat multiple times until it makes me satisfied and it fulfills me. Yeah. I guess the downside to that is, again, the word obsession, that, that this must be on your mind 24 hours a day. Probably my brother hates me. I constantly bombard him with messages and what can we do better? Yeah. Uh, I'm very obsessed on the expression of people. That's very important for me. Yeah. And again, I have this image in my mind and one day I was passing with my lovely partner in front of the shop. I saw one of our guests eating one of our beignets. And I literally saw in slow motion air bite into it. Yeah. And this cream exploded. And I just saw the stupor, the, the excitement and the, the, the fear as well of, <laughs> of the, the little bomb exploded. And I wasn't in the shop, I was outside and really I just enjoyed the whole uh, <laughs> It was very hilarious, yeah. Every new recipe that I have in my mind and I can fulfill, it just makes me go one step further towards the feel of being complete. I don't think it's never gonna end, this feeling. Yeah. You gotta really feel the flow. It's great to meet you, Kevin, and well, you know, you meet the guy behind all of this, you know? Well, you and your brother. I'm very thankful to all these people because they are giving me the opportunity to do what we're doing. I have goosebumps, just seriously, how thankful I am. We are here at Modigliani, uh, 56 Mill Road. Do check it out. It's a lovely little shop. You're listening to Flavor on Cambridge 105 Radio. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Kevin kept repeating the point about feedback and how little of it he gets. And it's the positive comments that he's received lately that have led him to choose to keep the Modigliani cookie on the menu. Now, Modigliani's, they started at such a tricky time too, 2019. And shortly after they opened, there was the gasworks issue on Mill Road, which closed the road for around six months or so, I think. And he said it was terrible for them because they were a tiny shop just getting started. And with all the roadworks going on, it rendered them pretty much invisible to anyone. He said they came within a hair's breadth of closing, but they managed to scrape through and now they are proving very popular. And that is Modigliani Cafe on Mill Road. Right, time for a bit more news now. In, in the sort of recent-ish past, if you had a meal at Van der Lyle, you could have a non-alcoholic drink. And they were extraordinary drinks uh, from fermented products. And they had tremendous flavour and they went very well with, with uh, the food. And they were designed by Sam Adams, who has a company called Node Drink, a small batch non-alcoholic drinks producer, and it's based here in Cambridge. And you can 
find no drinks at Barbarella Cafe in High Street, Chesterton. That's a cafe we featured uh, three years ago on Flavour. And here's a few words about Sam's alternative to rosé wine. A jasmine tea 12-hour cold brew with caramelised peaches, Cambridgeshire honey and olive oil. Perfect for hot summer days, it's quite floral on the nose with some welcome sweet notes on the palate. The mouthfeel is all from the olive oil, which, though subtle, comes in right at the end. Which sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Uh, But you can find that and others at the Barbarella Cafe in Chesterton. At Meadows on Mill Road today, Saturday, until 2pm, Ben from Mon Cheesemongers will be at a special stall uh, outside the front of the shop, and he's going to have an array of French cheeses for you to try. Mon Cheesemongers are specialists in continental and British cheeses, with locations in Lordship Lane and Borough Market, and Susanna, the owner of Meadows, used to work for Mon Cheesemongers. Right, let's go over to Congratulations Corner, fight our way through the balloons, and we meet Mark Poynton and his team at MJP at the Shepherds. They've won Best Restaurant in the Muddy Stiletto Awards for Suffolk and Cambridge, so congratulations to them. And also, yet again, to Restaurant 22. They've been judged to be 73rd Best Restaurant in the UK, and that puts them above places like the River Cafe in London and other well-known restaurants as well. So a superb victory, if that's mm. the right word. Accolade is a better one. <laughs> Stir Bakery have some special Father's Day cakes available this weekend just to show that there are other food items than beer to help with Father's <laughs> Day celebrations. Right, there's nothing better than to celebrate a hot day or any day really, than with cheese. And the Cambridge Cheese Company is rolling into summer with fresh goat's cheeses. New in is the Figou Fermier, a citrus-fresh goat's milk cheese with a whipped texture and a sweet fig filling. And today is probably the perfect day for it. Yeah. And Cambridge Organic Food Company have added a downloadable poster on their website. It's how to store your vegetables. Now, this prints to an A4 size. And as they say, whether you are a seasoned cook or you're just starting out, this poster really is a must-have for your kitchen. And finally, for now, Dulce's next to Cambridge Market... Uh, who do pasticcini, gelato, coffee and cakes on Rose Crescent, have changed their opening hours. They're now open later on Fridays, Saturdays and Sundays until 8pm. Okay. Now, mushrooms and fungi grow all year round. Lots of great names too. The Velvet Shank, Wood Bluets, Pig's Ears, Artist's Conch. You can get a seasonal mushroom calendar for a list of the most common species found throughout the year. Now, here is Flavor's original show presenter, Elaine Cusack, talking with a local mushroom enthusiast and a fun guy, Hal Wilson, from Cambridge Wine Merchants. And this is from back in September 2007. But first, let me introduce a resident of Cambridge with a passion for mushrooms. Let's just get the microphone up there, Dillis. It's Dillis Eagle. Hello, Dillis. Hi. Hello there. Now, um, I called them... um, I call them mushrooms, but of course you'd say... I say fungi. mushroom, you say fungi. <laughs> yes. Um, now, of course, fungi is an Italian word. Is that where your interest started? Yes, it is. I lived in Italy for nearly ten years, and um, I didn't have, ever collect there, but I certainly ate them in restaurants and saw them being sold by the roadside and bought them occasionally. OK, so, and, but did you, did you ever collect mushrooms in, no, in Italy, no? It, no, people are far too passionate. You don't have a chance. And I think nowadays, in a lot of areas, you actually have to have a licence to collect. 
So where, so, right, so so wasn't in Italy, was it when you came? Because how long did you live in Italy for? Quite, quite Nearly 10 years, mm. yeah. Yes, when I got back, um, we moved to an area in the Chilterns, which was... Um, forested and we started going up to the local woods and I thought optimistically okay get a book go up there and identify them easier said than done you know you collect red ones because you think oh they'll be easy there are probably 30 or 40 species at least of red fungi so um, it was not easy I had to join a class and so how many years were you, were you looking around, you know, around um, the Chilterns then for? Um, <clears throat> I lived there for about 17 or 18 years mm. and it was brilliant collecting area. I mean, you could hardly step out of the house without finding um, Belitis edulis, known as the penny bun or, you know, other really good edibles. It was fantastic. And uh, you told me that you also um, collected in um, Scotland. Yeah. How, what, how did that link start then? Well, the tutor of the class I eventually joined um, started taking us up to um, an area, well, in the Highlands. And um, that was fantastic because we got masses of chanterelle and other really good edible species up there. And we'd stay up for a week. And I started cooking them on a, a double gas ring in the lab. And from that, it developed into a course of my own. And uh, when you did that, how many people would you have at once? Um, and that, about ten, yeah. Impatient to learn. <laughs> Thought that by the end of the week they ought to be able to go out and find everything and know what it was immediately. Well, that's it, isn't it? Before we came on air, all, all three of us uh, were talking about um, a certain newspaper that brought out a, um, a, a mushroom <laughs> supplement last week. And with that, it's very much, you know, DIY, let's, let's go out there and, um, you know, get my own mushrooms but really you were saying you really need to learn le- le- quite a lot about them, don't you? It's incredibly difficult I think. Um, you might have some <clears throat> success but you've got to be so careful. There are over 3,000 largish size fungi and of those I don't probably only about 60 I don't know are edible and probably of that most are not are edible but not worthwhile. So you know um, homing in on the ones that are, are good to eat is not an easy job by any stretch of the imagination, no. no. And I don't know about, about what it is about autumn, but it seems to be a time when thoughts do turn to um, collecting fungi. I mean, is this the best time of the oh, year yes. for them? Yeah, yeah. Um, there are two or three, a few edible species that occur in spring, um, morels and St George's mushroom, but by and large, um, sort of, well, depending on the weather, you need warmth and rain. Um, you could start sort of middle of August or maybe, maybe earlier sometimes and go on till the first frosts appear, um, you know, I don't know, end of uh, October, beginning of November. And there'll be some that come through the winter, but basically you're right, it's mm. now. OK, and are you out there collecting at oh, the moment? I tried, but I couldn't find anything when I did get out. Um, I think the problem is I live in the centre of Cambridge, so I've got to get in the car and go somewhere, and it's finding time. So I'm a bit of a... Um, yes, not very successful this year. <laughs> and the, you did classes, obviously, uh, when you weren't living in Cambridge, but do you do any sort of... Do you share your passion with any other um, Cambridge residents at the moment? Well, uh, yes, I try to, but it is extremely difficult to persuade people to eat things. I took a group out um, last year and gave them some really good things. And I don't think anyone ate them. I think they all threw them away. I was so fed up about it. I'd have taken them home myself if I'd (laughs) realised. That is, yeah, that's pretty bad, isn't it? Now, I'm going to ask a question now. I hesitate in asking it, but are you prepared to to mention at all where you gather mushrooms? Or is that a a trade secret, Dillis? (laughs) Thetford Forest. (laughs) Oh, oh, the secret's out now. (laughs)
<laughs> but of course, you know, it's a forest. You're not going to tell us exactly where, but no. the, the second tree on the right when you, <laughs> you go in there. That's exactly why I'm saying it like that. <laughs> Fair enough, and that's, that's all right. Um, but do you have a, a favourite mushroom then? Yes, the chanterelle. And why, why do you like it? I, I love its colour, its smell, and I just, I love to eat it. Mm. Yeah. And what sort of, I mean, what recipe would you suggest for chanterelle I, then? Sauté it in butter, add some uh, lightly boiled, well, some boiled new potatoes cut up, some bacon, some parsley, a bit of cream, and that's it. Just simple, simple like that, really. Absolutely scrummy. Mm. Cooking butter, of course. <laughs> that sounds great. And can you offer any advice for fledgling fungi collectors oh, then? Just be very, very careful. Mm. Yeah, and find somebody, if possible, who knows more than you do mm. and uh, latch on to them or find a class, mm. anything, but try and get some instruction. To do that, yeah, yeah. Mm. And are you, I mean, are you available for, for, for giving advice to people? Or do you, do you want to... Yes, keep it, keep where going? I lived before, I was actually known as the mushroom lady. <laughs> <laughs> and people would turn up um, with specimens on the doorstep and um, expect me to identify them, which sometimes I could. <laughs> but sometimes I thought they were LBJs and weren't worth little round jobs. Mm. Not worth identifying <laughs> and certainly not worth eating. That's great. And um, Hal, you, if I might bring you in here, Hal, Hal Wilson, um, who is the founder of uh, Cambridge Wine Merchants. Um, I, we were talking mushrooms earlier. Would you like to put your penneth in about them? Well, yes. Um, I love to, uh, to go out walking in the, in the woods, and it's amazing how many varieties you see. I, I don't claim to know uh, anything at all about mushrooms, but I do like to sort of collect the ones that look in the book like they are edible and then uh, bring them home for, uh, for, for judgment. Um, and the overwhelming judgment from the rest of the family is to throw them straight into the bin and don't be so silly about trying to uh, uh, think about cooking them. Um, but uh, my parents live uh, now in Normandy and um, there's a wonderful uh, market very near where they live and there's a stall that I, I'm absolutely besotted by with uh, this lady who collects mushrooms and for some reason everyone will trust her <laughs> and I'm sure she knows exactly what she's doing but uh, I love to collect uh, or buy these different um, wonderful exotic looking mushrooms and, uh, and cook them up as you say mm. in butter with some nice, uh, uh, nice, nice meat and potatoes and, uh, uh, and, and just see, test their texture and, and flavour. I think they're, they're, they're wonderful things to eat um, and aren't we in the, the real sort of capital of of sort of mushroom country, is there is there a, a Cambridgeshire or or, or the, the, this country is, is England? Or? Um, well, I I certainly have had much. Yes, I think it does depend where you are. Scotland mm. is fantastic, mm. I think, and um, Ashridge Forest is on that area is great. I'm not sure about Cambridge. Um, we, we can't lay claim to it being the best. <laughs> I'm not sure. No, no. Somebody tell me the British Isles. It, were, it's uh, maybe too dry. You know, mm. Cambridge is famous dry, um, or what is it? Monoclimate? No, what's the word for it? Something climate. Yeah, whatever. Non-mushroom climate. Yes, yeah. Needs to be a bit damper, I think. Yeah. You know, we used to get these ginormous mushrooms in certain fields back when I lived on a farm. I never knew enough about mushrooms at the time to know if they were dangerous or not, Oh, yes, I am. And I've always wanted to be able to identify mushrooms well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I can identify shaggy ink cap, and some of that grows uh, in, in Cambridge. That's easy to identify. Um, 
But really, if you can identify, say, four or five, I think you're fine. I mean, you know, as in that feature, there are over 3,000 large ones. Well, if you can identify four or five, you're fine. Mm. If you live in France, of course, pharmacists are trained to identify mushrooms. So if you go and pick a few, you take them to a pharmacist in France and they'll say, yeah, you can eat all of those or mm. you can eat those three, but don't eat those two. They're poisonous. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great thing. Very Should good. do that here. <laughs> <laughs> There's the music that signals time for social media news. Yeah, uh, wine tastings to start with at the Wine Rooms in Hills Road on the 22nd of June. There's a tasting of Tuscany wines from 7 o'clock to late 15. A chance to taste some of the favourite Tuscany wines with Italian sommelier um, Laurie. Uh, that's £30 and there are only three tickets available for that. On the 22nd uh, of June, no they can't be the 22nd of June but anyway the one after is Bordeaux, the right bank from 7 to late 15, the 13th of July unexplored France, some rare white gems from the south of France and they're all at the wine rooms in Hills Road. Amphora uh, has its range of wine tastings as usual, but it also has a new venture with Culinaris uh, to bring you a masterclass of food and wine, region by region, beginning with Burgundy. Uh, each masterclass will examine the impact of specialist ingredients on a classic dish, and it kicks off on the 21st of June, uh, and the cost is £60. On the 27th of June at Amphora, Meet the Winemaker, uh, and that features Ukrainian wines. On the 5th of July, the wines of Georgia, which is the cradle of wine. And the second of the food and wine masterclasses, and these are with Zoltan from Culinaris, who's, you know, a food expert of long standing. Um, the second masterclass is on the 12th of July, and it covers the Loire. So... At Cambridge Wine Merchants, there's an evening of Japanese food and wine with Moz Kawari of Orino Japanese Gourmand. This will be an expertly crafted five-course meal and, of course, will be a wine to match with each course. And Moz will be sharing information about the dishes and about Japanese cuisine in general. The tickets are £49. That's on the 5th of July at the Cherry Hinton Road branch. There are 32 places available and call the branch on 215-548, Cambridge 215-548 to book. And finally for today, Adrienne of Sweet Pea Market Garden has vegetable bags for collection from her farm in Caxton on Thursdays between 4 and 6pm. It's £12.50 for five to six items fresh from the farm and individual salad bags are available too. And you can contact Adrienne via Instagram if you are interested. And that's the Twitter and Instagram news for now. Good stuff. <laughs> And that is Green Onions, which of course signals a rather brief job section today. We've only got two, but they are good ones. Beginning with Fancits on Mill Road. Now they're a restaurant who featured in the Michelin and the Good Food Guide for 2023. And they're looking for a chef de partie. Now you'll need a few years experience, preferably with time spent in a two rosette or above establishment. It's 48 hours per week, Tuesday to Saturday, 
30k a year, basic, and you can apply for that via caterer.com. Parker's Tavern on Regent Street needs a breakfast chef. Michelin experience is preferred. It's a 42 and a half hour week with staff discounts and incentives. Pay is 32 and a half K plus additional tips, benefits and a bonus. And Parker's Tavern is also looking for a sous chef. Pay is almost 35K plus again additional tips and benefits and bonus. And once again, it's a job you can find on caterer.com. And that brings today's programme to a close. You can catch Flavour on Alternate Saturdays at 12 noon. We'll repeated Mondays at 6pm and Thursdays at 2pm. And Flavour will be available as a podcast, of course, early next week. Coming up at 1 o'clock is The Gadget Guide. We'll be back on the 1st of July. So until then, goodbye. goodbye.